Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of one of our 2020 Elul study classes. Our topic is Rachamim, Compassion, God's Essential Quality, and ours, and I was toying whether or not to put a question mark at the end of the hours, uh, O-U-R-S, uh, but I left everything off, and we'll talk about that as we go along. The main point here is that what, what I have, um, I'm influenced by a comment that Rashi makes, um, which we will see a bit later on, about what is God's essential quality. And I think that our tradition actually uh, views a God's quality of compassion as being the most prominent uh, quality that is associated with. Um, and we'll see why I believe that. And that's my humble opinion. Uh, I'm not trying to convince you particularly one way or the other, but at least I would like you to see now at this time of the year when we are in Elul and when we are supposed to uh, you know, do, rep- do penance on our own, repent, and the plead uh, that God exercise the quality of compassion in his dealing or her dealing with us. And, uh, but at the same time, people are supposed to, we're supposed to turn to people to turn to us and ask us for forgiveness. And so the, it becomes important, uh, that we, we consider this. Uh, there is a Hasidic midrash that is one of my favorites. And some of you may have heard me, um, you know, the, the Hebrew month we are in, El, uh, is spelled in Hebrew, Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed. And there is an old tradition that it stands for Ani, Lidodi, Lidodi, Li. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine, which of course is a passage from the Song of Songs. And the Hasidic uh, Midrash on it is as follows. During Elul, the reason why that uh, meaning is applied to it is because the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence, is close at hand. She is among us. She is here now, present. And now, really, during Elul is the time to do the repenting. Because compassion associated the compassionate side of God uh, with, uh, with, with this whole love affair that's going on between us and Shekhinah, uh, is present and, and eager to forgive. So it's a way of sort of motivating people not to wait till the last minute to ask for forgiveness and to forgive others, to do tshuva and to those who may have hurt us. Do it now. Don't wait till Tishrei. Because after Tishrei, the Shekhinah goes back, and then God is seen as the judge sitting on the high throne, and we have to work harder uh, to bridge the gap, to, uh, to activate, shall we say, or partake of God's compassion. So do it now. And so I think this is very important for our, our Elul Plus before Rosh Hashanah uh, conditions. So that's why I also uh, chose the topic. Now, <clears throat> uh, on the sheet that you have, and there are actually four pages to it, so I'm going to um, the, the problem right now is I don't see it on the screen. Rabbi Schatz, can you scroll it? No, I can't. Oh, then I'm going to have to somehow get this thing back up. Yeah. 
Oh, maybe, boy. Maybe try pressing the Zoom icon again like you did before. Okay, so read to yourselves. <clears throat> so the the reason why this is sort of the, the paradigmatic expression of divine compassion is its its power, right? Uh, the Adonai, Adonai, El Rachum V'Chanun, right? Adonai, Adonai, compassionate and merciful God, long-suffering, full of loving kindness and truth, who, who stores up loving kindness for a thousand generations, forgives sin of different kinds, and, uh, and, uh, and so forth. Now, the thing, if you notice, I underlined with, and by the way, this is one of the reasons why the four-letter name of God, yud heh vav is associated by the rabbinic tradition with the attribute of compassion uh, because of this statement, whereas the word Elohim is associated more with the attribute of judgment, of deen. So Adonai is Rachamim, and uh, Elohim is deen. Okay? And here you have, for example, in Deuteronomy, uh, <clears throat> you have a, a text in Deuteronomy 117 that says, for judgment is God's. And elsewhere, there's a clear statement there that Elohim is with me. Now, this is not totally consistent throughout the entire Bible, but nonetheless, this is how the rabbis understand these names of God. <clears throat> um, notice the underline on that that I've made on that. And where that underline begins. In the liturgy that we use uh, during the year and on the high holidays to evoke these divine qualities, these 13 attributes or midot of divine compassion, they end with the term, the liturgy ends with the Hebrew term venake and remitting. You can see it in the bold, in the large uh, English type in the, in the brackets. Okay? But in fact, the term in the Hebrew is venake lo yinake. Okay? Yet he does not remit all punishment. That's the way it should be read in terms of this meaning of the text. But the rabbis cut off lo yinake to remove any semblance of punishment. They want this text to be viewed and used in the liturgy as pure compassion. Whereas in the Torah, there is this concluding element of punishment. All right? So please, please keep that in mind, and we'll talk about that again a little bit. <clears throat> By the way, you can say, my goodness, don't the rabbis know the text? Of course they know the text. But they have, Midrash allows a creative reading of the text to extract from it a meaning that the authors of the Midrash feel is important to emphasize. All right, now, but here there's another verse, though, uh, in verse 2, I mean, I mean selection 2 which actually comes from the Ten Commandments, right? You look at it, read it, and we'll talk about it. Okay? Now, you look here, you can see there's a completely different emphasis. There is a reference to God's showing loving kindness in verse 5, Pasuke, right? Showing kindness to the... Um, to the, by the way, the numbering is a little bit different. There's two different readings of the numbering there, so don't let that confuse you. It's five or six. Um, 
the showing kindness to the thousandth generation for those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, so there's a distinction made between those who reject God, who are the get the the, the strong punishment, and then those who uh, follow the commandments, who have the access to God's uh, God's chesed, God's loving. But clearly, the emphasis is different. The emphasis here is on the more punitive side, um, the starkness of the of the prohibition. And it makes sense because the Ten Commandments are the preamble to a law code. And this particular commandment, total avoidance of any form of idolatry, polytheism, right, is central to the monotheistic doctrine. And so it's harsh. It's scary. So in this one, the compassion sort of sneaks in at the end. Whereas the other one, the, the reading number one, comes from actually, if you remember where it is, Exodus chapter 34, that is where Moses has uh, has really worked with God for God to be able to express God's compassion and forgiveness for the people following the golden calf. And so this is, reading number one is really reconciliation which is what this time of the year is about and what the whole tshuva process is about and what slichot are about. Whereas reading number two is not about that. It's law and there are consequences. <clears throat> That's what this is about. So you'd expect it to be more harsh. But re- keep in mind that that is a, a, a different... That you, so you have in the Torah, in a sense, both of these values, uh, you know, coexisting. But the rabbis are going to choose to follow the compassion as the primary one. And that's why they leave off the punishment from the liturgical version you see in the first paragraph. Okay, before we move on, are there any questions? If you have a question, just raise your physical hand. But if, we don't, if you don't have a picture, you can use the virtual hand. Karen Kass did have a question earlier while we're still waiting. Um, can can you just go, can you help us figure out how we get to the 13 attributes? Oh, that's complicated. <laughs> okay. No, I, I, I prefer not to uh, because it will take too much time. Okay. But if you go, for example, um, if you go online and you just uh, type in, in a Google uh, 13 attributes, of God's compassion, you can find the list. There's pretty much a consensus on what that is, although not everybody agrees, but there is a kind of a general consensus. I know in the Hertz Chumash, uh, Rabbi Hertz actually enumerates them, if you have a Hertz Chumash, on this passage. <clears throat> so it's available, it's not hard to find, but it takes too long right now to enumerate them. But under, it's, what's interesting to note, by the way, is that Maimonides in the, the third book of the Guide of the Perplexed, surprises us by saying that there really are only 12 uh, elements of compassion here. 12 midot, 12 qualities of compassion. And the 13th is actually v'nakei lo yinakei. He leaves that together, doesn't separate it the way liturgy does, and he says that this is actually the qualifier it's for people who are idolaters. And he was so, because Rambam is fixated, even though he lived in the 12th and 13th centuries, 
He's fixated on the evil of idolatry, which for him deals with all kinds of different ideologies with respect to God that are different from his version of monotheism. So um, he's, in that respect, he's, he's sort of narrow-minded. But he's really, really concerned about that. So he separates, he doesn't separate benake loyenake. For him, it means what the, what the plain meaning is, that God does not clean away all sins for people who are sinful. And Rambam would say that's polytheists, idolaters, which of course fits into um, the, the whole idea of the passage from the Ten Commandments which emphasizes the evils of idolatry. So that's Rambam's take on it. But anyway, go Google it. You'll find it. No problem. Anything I, else? Yeah. I don't know which, but Rebecca or Leonard have a question. Or maybe both have a question together. <laughs> go ahead. Hi. Um, Wait, I'm first. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so if you have... Uh, uh, um, the guilt of the parents going then to the third or fourth generation. And then what if during that time there's an overlap and there's, you know, an expression of love of God that, you know, would get visited to the thousandth generation. Does that cancel out? And, you know, can, can, can somebody be redeemed before it goes to the fourth generation? Um, well, that's an interesting question. Actually, the, the rabbis have an explanation for that one. Their interpretation of those generations, because there's a problem, I mean, you're touching on a problem, which is if people have free will and everyone, as it says in Deuteronomy and some of the prophets and becomes major basic Jewish theology, if everyone has free will and is to be accounted for individually for their own choices, then how can God make me guilty for something my father did? If I choose to follow the path of righteousness, then how can I be held guilty for the, I'm the second generation? I'm included in the punishment here, which is sort of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. The rabbis tell us, though, that it all, that that whole concept of the third and fourth generations or fourth is, means if the children follow in the footsteps of the parents. That's their interpretation of it. That's their way of reconciling what really are two different tendencies that we find within the Torah and other aspects of the Bible. One tendency is the notion, this notion of transference down, which means that it's deeply embedded and it takes a while for the family to work it out. And it doesn't really ask the question that we are asking. And the second one, of course, already says, no, it's a, in a sense, it's a rejection of this note here, which says, no, everybody is responsible for their own. So, uh, the, and that's where the rabbis end up heading. And that's where our tradition ends up heading. So it depends if you want to read it, the shot, the plain meaning, which is harsh and sort of unreasonable. And that was ancient. That's probably the oldest expression of it. And then the later one, which is the softer one, which, which which really understands what you see in Deuteronomy and you see in in uh, prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, where you see everyone being held responsible only for their own sins, own sins, with no transference down the line. Okay, so uh, that's the best I can do for you. All right, all right. Let's move on. 
Rabbi Rambam? Yes. Before you move on, I'm just passing the baton over to Leah Mandelbaum because I have to go do our Hever Kadisha. Um, so she is here and she's going to be assisting you. And for everybody who is here, I can't wait to see you again, hopefully tomorrow. Thank you, Rabbi Rambam. Good. Thank you, Rabbi Shaps. You are so welcome. And that was ancient. That's probably the oldest expression of it. And then the later one, which is the softer one, which, which, which really understands what you see in Deuteronomy and you see in, in uh, prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, where you see everyone being held responsible only for their own sins, own sins with no transference down the line. Okay? So uh, that's the best I can do for you. All right? All right, let's move on. Rabbi Rambam? Yes. Before you move on, I'm just passing the baton over to Leah Mandelbaum because I have to go do our Hever Kadisha. Um, so she is here and she's going to be assisting you. And for everybody who is here, I can't wait to see you again, hopefully tomorrow. Thank you, Rabbi Rambam. Good. Thank you, Rabbi Shaps. You are so welcome. Okay. So now let's look at the third reading. Now here, again, you're going to find something that is a completely different state. Okay? This is from the prophet Micah chapter 7, verses 18. Read it through and tell me, somebody tell me if you, if it's in our prayers or prayers or, or other readings. Go ahead, read it. Okay? So, Manishtana halayla hazemi kol How is this reading different from the other two? What is missing? There is no reference whatsoever to any form of judgment. Right? Nothing. It's pure, pure forgiveness, pure compassion. All right? And we do, we say this, uh, well look it says, it says, here's the, here's a, the tashlich bin yam kol Cast into the sea all of our sins. So when do we say that? When we do Tashlich. Tashlich. That's what, before you mentioned the word, I was thinking, isn't that what I say when I throw my bread into the ocean? You did. That's it. Right. But we also say this, we also say this on the, for the Haftarah of Shabbat Shuvah. Shabbat Shuvah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And and it's a beautiful statement. It's a powerful statement. Yashuv Yerachameinu. Right? Return, come back and you know, have compassion upon us. Right? Beautiful. Okay. Now, you must understand something. The 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 uh commentators did not ignore the fact that there's a problem between this and the uh the previous two. It's different. Micha. I mean, Micah the prophet also speaks the, you know, the word of God. So, how does, what's this about? So, a number of the commentators are very clear on it. They say, that applies during the Messianic era, when the Mashiach comes. But for now, the other concept of punishment exists. Okay? That's what they say. And that's a, that's an attempt to try to, in a sense, categorize it. They, they don't reject it. 
but they put it off to a time when um, it, it can be implemented. Okay, when there's a change in human character, when Mashiach comes. All right. But there is somebody else who pays attention to this, okay? And the somebody else, actually, uh, before we're going to go down now, and we're going to look into the Zohar. All right? Look at, and then we're going to go back to number four, which is from um, a medieval Kabbalist. Uh, so the, here, look at number five, reading number five. Okay? Read it through. And I'll try to help you understand it. Okay? Uh, let me try to help you understand it. All right? So this priest, he's saying there are 13 attributes, the Zohar says, all issuing from the holy beard of Keter. Keter is in the Sephirotic structure that the Zohar uh, puts before us. Keter is the very top of the chain of emanations uh, that come out of the uh, of Ainsof, the eternal God. Okay? I, I can't go into all the details. I've got to take a class in Kabbalah uh, to understand that, which I'm not going to give right now. But it is the highest. This is the, the top of the spiritual realm, which represents a lower emanation of God. The Ain Sof, which is the eternal, right, the highest one, the infinite, that aspect of God is hidden from us. The ten lower elements of the divine are accessible to people who are profoundly spiritual mystics. Okay? And, and I, that principles, powerful principles, emanate down through that structure ultimately to us. But these are the, the here's what he says. This is what Zohar says. Now you might say, how could Moses not utter these supernal ones? Why does Moses not refer to these 13 attributes of pure compassion? Okay, because remember, it wasn't Moses... Uh, Moses doesn't talk about those. It was the prophet Micah. And here's the answer. Moses needed only the place where judgment prevails. And where judgment prevails, one must speak as he Moses was talking about, about compassion that operates within the realm where judgment has to operate as well, which is here where we live, in this world. And going on. Moses spoke at a time when Israel had sinned, the, the golden calf, and judgment was looming. So Moses spoke only in a place where judgment is found. But in this other place, that is to say the supernal realm of the ten sephirot, the prophet Micah arranges the ordered praise of the ancients. Those thirteen enhancements, those thirteen tikkunim of the beard are powerful, and they break and subdue all decrees of judgment which means that operating within the realm of the tensity wrote, the Kabbalistic mystical realm above us, of which we are not directly a part, but powerful members of us, if we train properly, our soul can, can get into that a little bit. Okay? With there, in that structure, pure compassion operates. 
and the and 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 judgment, which is one of the sefirot. Din is one of the sefirot. Is contained. Is held in check. But sefirot, but din is allowed to express itself here because we need it. Our realm is different. Okay, that's how the Zohar deals with. Okay, well and good. So then it makes, it really makes a distinction between the upper realm, which is the prophet Micah, and the lower realm where we live. And in both instances, God's compassion is present, right? It's just that it takes different. In one, it's pure, the upper one, and in the lower one, there is an element of judgment woven in. Necessity is driven. All right. Now, the palm tree of Devorah, the Torah Devorah, was written by Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, who lived in Sfat, uh, in the middle of the 16th. And he was one of the most brilliant interpreters of Kabbalah. And the palm tree of Devorah, what it does is it's built on the 13 attributes of compassion, which he enumerates, found in the, in the passage from the book of Micah, chapter 7. Okay, that's the compassion that he's talking about. But look what he says. Please read number four. Okay, so you know this concept of the, the um, you probably have seen pictures <clears throat> of the ten sephirot laid out within a human form. I don't know if you've had it or not, but that's very common. And it's, it's, it's called the, the primeval atom. The, the Zohar, the rabbinic, the, the, the Kabbalist tradition already defines it as a kind of a, a representation uh, of a kind of a super spiritual human. And that's the lower expression of the 13, uh, of, of the 10, sorry, of the 10 Sephirot of God. Now, what he's saying, of course, is that, that the if, if the human being really wants to imitate God, then they have to forget basically about the physical form and not associate with it unless they can, uh, if, if they do deeds that are ugly. Okay, that's meaningless. The only way you can attempt to, to emulate the supernal form is through your actions. And therefore, what you have to do, what human beings have to do, we have to make sure that these 10, that the 13 supernal, high up, higher level of divine compassion attributes come to us, that they be found in the human, as he says at the end. That is really a challenge. You understand what he's saying? We have to operate as human beings in a manner where we act on compassion and push judgment off the page. And only then will we essentially be prepared for the Messianic. So he disagrees with the other commentators who said, Micah, the, those, the, the, the 13 elements of compassion that have no judgment with them, right? He says that for the Messianic era. Those, some of the other commentators. What, uh, Cordovero is saying, no, it's got to become ours here and now in order for the Mashiach to come. Interesting. Very challenging, I would say. Okay. Any comments? Leah, would you please call on people? I'm not seeing any comments. Okay. 
Don't be depressed. <laughs> somebody, somebody said, you can do it. Look, it's hard. Let me make an observation here. And that is that many of the ethicists and uh, people who are involved, uh, Jew, I'm talking about Jewish, with, with ethical behavior, um, compassion, forgiveness, and things like that, are very extreme. They hold the bar very high. And I think they know it, and I think they realize that in a certain sense it may be unrealistic, and it may be that the basic rabbinic interpretation is more realistic. But at the same time, the reason they do that is to teach us a lesson. That very often our tendency when people harm us is to be totally vengeful, to strike out at them. Quid pro quo. You do it to me, I'm going to do it back to you. Even though Torah says don't be vengeful. But that's, that's, that's how. And these folks with these high standards are trying to tell us, no, that's not the way you should. You should tap into your compassion. I mean, occasionally, for example, see people, I mean, there was a, um, a statement made by a family whose relative uh, was recently put to death uh, for murder, having committed murder. They actually forgave him. They're Christians. And I think they believe very deeply in the image that Jesus is portrayed with. You know, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. That kind of an approach. It's very rare even among Christians, I must say. Probably no. But those individuals did that. And there are Jews who have that attribute within them. Quite honestly, I, I will admit to the fact that it's a very difficult thing to, to grab onto. But there's a value in putting the bar high if it pulls you up so that you can be more free and giving with respect to your feelings and, and be more thoughtful in terms of should you want to uh, be vengeful. And at this time of the year, it's important. The people who come to you who really hurt you and are begging for forgiveness and wanted to have some element of reconciliation, and you reject them out of hand because of the pain that they caused you. I, we, I bet that happens a lot. But should you not, what this is saying, should you not rethink that and see if there's some way you can tap into your compassion and find a way to build reconciliation? And is that not a better situation to be in rather than to walk around with the anger and the other person walk around with it? you got to think about that. That's why we're, we're studying this now. All right, now let's go on. I'm not going to read the Zohar passage. That respect with respect to Shabbat. I put it in if we have time, but we don't have time. Maybe we can get back to it later on. But I want to show you now something else. This is the Rashi that really opened up this whole discussion for me. And I love this one. It's based on, on the Midrash Rabbah, but he takes it to a little bit more clearly articulated. So read number seven, please. Rashi, on Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, so what Rashi is dealing with, and if you've read Torah carefully, you know that this is indeed the case. In the first creation account in Genesis chapter 1 and the beginning of Genesis chapter 2, God is only called Hashem, yud heh And then in the second part of chapter uh, 2, verse 4, suddenly he's called Hashem Elohim. And Rashi, being a very, and then the rabbis in the Midrash as well, being very astute readers of the text, they say, what happened here? Why did the name change occur? 
Okay? And this is Rashi's explanation. God wanted to begin by creating the world with justice, judgment, deen, Elohim. Right? I mentioned earlier, for the rabbis, Elohim is... All right, so God wanted to begin because what is deen? Law and order. Deen is law and order. The universe shall be ruled by strict natural law or strict divine law. That's what God tried. But if that, what happened was the world would not endure. It didn't. It fell apart. It couldn't exist. So then God came up with a brilliant idea. And, you know, this shows us that God learns from God's mistakes here. That happens a few times. We can talk about that some other Anyhow, he says, I, I, got an, I, I got a better idea. I'm going to create what, create what I call a cosmic epoxy. Do you remember what epoxy glue is? It's two different tubes of glue. Separated, they cannot do anything. They, nothing, they, they don't just put them together, and you have a very powerful glue, more powerful it used to be than any other glue that existed on the face of it. And boy, did that hold. So God makes a divine epoxy. What he does is, he now he calls upon his God's compassion, God's divine compassion, and allies it. You see, he makes an alloy, if you will. So he links it together with the justice. So it becomes Adonai Elohim. And that held, and the world could stay together and exist. But notice what he says. He gave precedence to divine mercy, allying it with divine justice. And that's why it says, Adonai Elohim, look what comes first. Adonai. Compassion precedes deen. And that's what works. And that's why I love this, because it's saying, and I think the rabbis in general would agree with it, that that is the principal quality of God. Judgment there is. But God's primary quality is compassion. It's like, a, if you will, a 40, 51%, 49% uh, breakdown. And um, I think that's a very powerful midrash that he brings. He, he, he builds on, 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 on Breshid Rabbah, Genesis Rabbah, on that, on that verse, and, and, and really modifies it to conclude uh, this way. There, there's no discussion of God giving precedence to Adonai, I mean, it's there, but they don't, it doesn't deal with that. And they say, God says, hopefully it'll stay together. So Rashi's a little bit more optimistic than the, than the, than the, so he carries that a step further. It's sort of like what Cordovero does with the Zohar concept of the pure, uh, compassion, applying it to the lower realm, which the Zohar itself does not. Okay? Any questions or comments? Okay. Rosemary Cohen. I saw yes. her. Go ahead, Rosemary. Um, I was going to the um, discussion before. In my experience, I think we are not God, and we cannot forgive people, but we can go over the subject. Um, by doing that, because I, like, I feel I cannot forgive somebody because I don't have the power to forgive, but I can just or go over the problem, and that will release me from being angry or upset. And 
the other person will see that I have nothing to do with him to revenge. Is this true or not? Well, I mean, it, it depends. You know, human nature is human nature. I think what this is telling us again is the, you know, hurt pain that someone creates for you is very deep-seated. And I think we all understand that. And I think what this is saying is before you totally discount the uh, capacity to forgive and to be compassionate, you should consider it seriously and think through what would happen to you and what would happen to that other person if there was some form of reconciliation. It doesn't mean that you have to be in love with each other afterwards. You know, you, you can, can feel that, all right, this person has sincerely turned to me and has, uh, and the other, here's the thing. Uh, you can use Rambam here very helpfully because Rambam in his laws of, 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 uh, of repentance, he says, the one, the only way you can judge the sincerity of the person who is begging for forgiveness, who has done repentance to you, right? Because the point is you have a right, you have a role to play with God in forgiveness. Um, that's why Rambam is so insistent on, on the power of Teshuvah and of really, of considering forgiveness. Because in fact, you do have a role to play. It's not just God's, according to Rambam and according to the rabbinic tradition. But the point is this. The person who asks for forgiveness has to not only, uh, you know, begged and you know, pleaded and, and, and stated how much pain they've caused themselves, how wrong it was, in some aspects, if they need to compensate you um, monetarily, uh, emotionally, in any way they can, they must do that. But the key thing is, if the situation where they pained you the first time comes about again, and they don't do it, then you can say their, their teshuva is complete. So as, as the, uh, as Cordovero suggests, our behavior, not only the behavior of the person who's doing the forgiving, the wrong party, but more importantly, the behavior of the person who did the wrong has got to make it clear that they will not do it again by not doing it. Okay? That takes time. And you may have to tell a person who pains you, let me see how you live your life. Come back to me, and then we can talk again. But they have to complete the process before you're obligated to, uh, to. So that may be a little helpful to you. It's comp. Look, I'm not trying to give simplistic answers here. These are very powerful forces that are at work, and we have to be very thoughtful. All this is saying is be very thoughtful and careful when people ask you to forgive, and be thoughtful and careful when you ask for forgiveness. All right. Now, but I want to show you something else. This whole concept of compassion uh, within God's activity in the world and this whole notion that Cordovero has of us emulating this, it, it, he's right. It's a very basic principle that runs throughout our thinking. I want you now to look at, at uh, number eight, reading number eight, which is from our daily prayer book, Okay. We say this every single day in the morning. So read it through and let's talk. Okay? So, we say the Yotzer blessing, God uh, forms light and creates darkness. 
creation creates all things, right? Then this very at the very next paragraph, God causes the uh, illumines the earth and its creatures with compassion and renews creation. So this is in a sense the re, a, a recreation, a, a re, reenactment of Genesis chapter one. The first thing God does is he creates light. Then God creates everything else. And so here too, the sun comes up and he got creation is recreated every single day. That's what this is postulated. Okay. But look at the word in between. Barachame. With compassion. With goodness. So compassion is at work in the process of creation. It goes back to Rashi. It goes back to the Midrash. But it's interesting that here, in the, we're celebrating the new day. And look, later on, and again, it says, Right? Have compassion upon us. So this statement is saying that compassion is actually a, a, a principle with which God created the universe. And we want God to continue to extend that compassion to us in our daily lives that begins anew in the morning. Compassion, right there. Renewal. Uh, to me, this is, if you think about it, this is a prayer that celebrates God's power. Creation of the world, the rabbis tell us, out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo. Right? Celebrates God's power. But the first, the first principle, the, the first attribute of God that emerges here is compassionate statement about what power includes. The most powerful force on earth is ultimately a source of compassion. And the world was created with at the foundation with compassion. It gives you a whole new perspective on how to view the universe. This is a, it's, it's a blessed place. It's an amazing place. It should be a place that provides comfort for its creature. And it can, it should, right? But the creatures have to deal with this world in, a, in an interesting, in a, in a not, they're not interesting, in, in a responsible and meaningful way as well. But something to keep in mind, every day we say this. Right? But then it goes on, the second blessing before the Shema. These are the two blessings for Shema Israel in the morning. You're familiar with this. Okay, so read blessing, read reading number nine. Okay, so this is the, this is the, the rabbis call this Birkata Torah because in a sense, it, it, it's founded on the principle that God out of compassion for us gave Torah. Okay, and that is the covenant uh, that if, that's the definition of the covenant between God and the people of Israel. The first blessing that we read is a universal statement of God, the creator of all creatures. The Rabbah already is a statement of the special relationship between God and the Jewish people. And that leads us to the statement of the Shema, wherein we declare our faith in God, and then remember, after Ahava Rabbah comes the Shema, and then after Shema it says, Be'ahavta You should love God. So there is a kind of a, a covenant of love. God loves us, and the, at least we promise God that we will proclaim God's oneness. 
we proclaim God's oneness, and then we are told, love God back. Okay, that's what that's about. And so Rachamim is clearly indicated a number. But what I love about this, and like I, talk, I teach about this all the time, look what it says. You have our, our father, our king, Avinu Malkeinu, right? We're going to say that a lot in the, in the high hall, over the high holidays. We say it, firstly, we say it a lot now. Avinu Malkeinu. And notice what comes first. The parent comes before the ruler. Okay? And then it says, our father, merciful father, the merciful one, repeated three times. And you know, when things are repeated like that, it's for emphasis. So God is the compassionate father. Okay? The compassionate father. Think about their Hamazon. In the last blessing, of, at the end of the last blessing, the fourth blessing, Birkat Hamazon, there's a whole bunch of harachamans, right? All these compassionate statements of God. It's all over the place. But here, the point is that in giving Torah, it was like an act of love and compassion because Torah is the key to living a life of harmony with God and with each other. It's a compassionate thing. And by having that, we can live a blessed life. What greater gift can there be? And so it comes from God's compassion. That's what this is telling. And there is never a place anywhere in our tradition, if you can find it, email it to me, please, where it says Malkeinu Avinu. It's always Avinu Malkeinu. Okay. Bye-bye. Alan Brody. You are muted. Okay. I am, I am unmuted. Um, first, Joel, the, the word, as I understand it, the word Rachamim comes from Rechem, womb. The same Shorish is there, which is be more of a feminine component of God, a feminine characteristic, rather than Avinu Malkeinu, our father, our king. Um, so question one is, do you want to talk about that differentiation there? Yeah, I, I, that's Midrash. Um, yeah, I mean, I understand that. The interesting thing, by the way, is the Zohar totally rejects that. Really? Because Tiferet, the male, the dominant male Sephira uh, uh, in the structure of the Sephirot is male, is masculine. And Dean, judgment, is feminine. So it's not universal, okay? And I think that is, I think, I'm not sure um, if I had the time. I, you know, we can talk about it. I'll check it out for you and get back to you. But I'm sure that the term Reishat Mem um, does not necessarily emanate from the womb, the mother, the, the mother, the womb of the mother. Well, you talk about Pinyon Habenda, Petarechem, and everything that's right. It, it, no, but that doesn't mean that. That means... The, the coming out from the, the first out of the womb. Okay. There's nothing to do with compassion. It has to do with the birthing process, the, the, the anatomy. That's an anatomical state. Um, also, Rabbi, uh, Paula asked, is there a difference between mercy and compassion in the liturgy? Well, not really. I mean, they're inter- I, mean I, I can't go into the etymology of the two words in English, but basically it's the same thing. And when it says mercy here, the Hebrew word is rachem. So they're, 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 they're synonyms. They're used synonymously. 
Um, and I think that's, uh, there are different meanings. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, there, the, the, um, mercy comes from misericordia, which I think means to empathize. Uh, I'm, don't hold me on this. Where compassion is, you know, you have uh, the same sort of thing. Your feelings are the same. There are, there's sort of two different ways of, of saying basically the same thing. But for that, you're going to have to look at the two etymologies uh, of the two words, mercy and compassion and see how close they are. I don't know in English. I've never checked. Look look in a good lexicon, you'll find that. You can go online and say the etymology of compassion, look at the etymology of mercy. They're probably very close. Okay. I, I'm not going to get be able to get to Rambam on forgiveness. Basically, he said what I said before, that um, it is incumbent upon us, for it is incumbent upon the sinner to to relentlessly beg for forgiveness and demonstrate the sincerity so that the the, the wrong party can forgive, and then it is incumbent upon the wrong party to try to forgive to the best of it. A lot to think about. Um, you can you're gonna you know there's a wide range of thought in what we have looked at. Uh, clearly, compassion. There's nobody can doubt compassion is a very powerful principle. Uh, in the Judaic tradition, and any Jew, every Jew has to keep that in mind, uh, especially at this time of the year. You have your choice of modes of expression here, um, you know, and there are others. You may want to look into this more deeply, but um, I hope that this has opened some uh, some doors for your neshama to take compassion very seriously and to, and to act in that way. I wish you all Shana Tova. A very, very meaningful LO, and please God, we should stay healthy. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am, Los Angeles, go to tbala.org. 